0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. It is good to be with you. I'm on page 956 in a chair Bible. that's underneath the chair in front of you. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 22 this morning. While you're uh, finding your place, if you're a guest with us on the back of a chair in front of you is a guest card, I'd like to invite you to take that card, fill out the information on it, and at the end of our service we're going to receive our offering, and we only want you to participate by letting us know that you're here by placing that card in the offering plate. And further, I'd love to meet you after the service is over. My name is Jeff Long. I serve as the teaching pastor here, and it is a privilege to share the Word of the Lord with you today from 1 Corinthians 10. We study straight through a book of the Bible if you're new with us. So today we come through 1 Corinthians 10, and we're going to focus in 1 through 22. Uh, For the sake of timing, I'm just going to read the first five verses as it relates to our first section, and then we'll read each section as we come to it. So would you stand, please, as I read the Word of the Lord, verses 1 through Through 5. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all drank the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this text, we recognize that we can know all the right stories. We can have an even experienced phenomenal moments in our lives with you and still turn our hearts somewhere else to where you are not pleased. So, cause us to see today the idols of our hearts, to repent and to flee from them. Lead us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Today's sermon has a lot to do with idolatry. So let me define idolatry. Idolatry, or an idol, is something that you cannot live without. I encourage you to take a note, so write that down. An idol is something that you cannot live without. Timothy Keller's written this book called Counterfeit Gods, which I commend to you. It's an entire book dealing with how we as modern people are dealing with and struggling with idolatry. He explains, to contemporary people, the word idolatry conjures up pictures of primitive people bowing down before statues. Our contemporary society is not fundamentally different than ancient ones. Each culture is dominated by its own set of idols. Each has its priesthood, its totems, its rituals. Each one has its shrines, whether they're office towers, spas, gyms, studios, or stadiums, where sacrifices must be made in order to procure the blessings of the good life and to ward off disaster. What are the gods of beauty, power, money, and achievement? but the same things that have assumed mythic proportions in our individual lives and our society. We may not physically bow before the statue of Aphrodite, but young women today are driven into depression and eating disorders by an obsessive concern over the image of their body. We may not actually burn incense to Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions, we perform a kind of child sacrifice. We neglect our family, our community, our church to achieve a higher place in business and to gain more wealth and prestige. I hope to show you today through a text that is admittedly complicated and difficult at places to understand how it is relevant today. Here's the main idea. That trusting in the faithfulness of God, we, as the body of Christ, Flee idolatry. So the core question for the professing believer today is am I trusting God or someone or something else? Is someone or something else vying to take the place of God in my life? And if so, what do I do? So trusting in the faithfulness of God, we recognize His salvation and provision. That's the first thing we do. We recognize what God has done and what God is doing. Verse 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Now, I, I just want to say to you. Had, Had, when I was 18 years old, had I walked into a church and somebody started preaching on this text, I'd have been completely lost. I mean, completely lost. I would not have known what in the world was going on here. So, for those of you who are not familiar with the Old Testament, I'm going to try to clue you in as to what is actually happening in this text. The first thing that is kind of profound that jumps off the page is that Paul says to a primary Gentile audience that our fathers were under the cloud. Jewish tradition held that if you converted to Judaism, you could not pray, our God and God of our fathers, you had to pray this way, our God and God of their fathers. But Paul addresses these Gentile background Christians as God being their father, and these being their spiritual fathers who were under the cloud and passed through the sea. So here's what he's saying. That if we are in Christ, we are now a part of God's covenant community. We are a part of the people that God promised to Abraham that from every nation there would be people who would come to be followers of the one true God. So what does he mean here by cloud and passing through the sea So when the children of Israel were in Egypt, there's a movie about this, right? The Pharaoh movie. Wasn't very accurate, but there was a movie, all right? The children of Israel were in bondage and slavery to the Egyptians, and God set them free. As they left, a pillar of cloud covered them from the intense desert heat during the day, and a pillar of fire led them by night. They came to the shore of the Red Sea, And God parted the sea and they walked across on dry land. This is God's miracle of redemption that He has redeemed, He has set His people free. Then He has these images of baptism and eating spiritual food and drinking spiritual drink. So, what does He mean by baptism? He means that they have passed from bondage to freedom, it's a symbol. So today we're going to have baptism. there be two young people who are baptized at the end of the service. That, that's Gastonia water up there. It's not going to save them. It has no saving property to it. It is merely a symbol to say that they have passed from death to life, that they have passed from bondage to freedom. Now, here's what's very interesting about this image. When he says they passed through the sea, they were baptized, they never got wet. They came through dry. And then he says they were baptized into Moses. What what does that mean? Jesus Christ is identified as the founder of the new covenant through his death and resurrection. Moses was to be understood as the human founder of the covenant established at this moment of great redemption when God sets the children of Israel free. So that they are identifying with Moses in what God is doing that they are associated with this great act of redemption. Then spiritual food and spiritual drink. God provided while they were in the wilderness, manna and quail and water from the rock. Now he sums all this up to say, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Here's what he's saying. We all drink from the same fountain. The fountain of living water. Who is Jesus Christ the Lord? Now, what is Paul trying to do right here? Here's what he's trying to do He's trying to remind the Corinthians of the redeeming and sustaining power of God in their lives. That this ought to lead us to thanksgiving, to giving thanks to God for his redemption, and it ought to lead us to rely on God for his faithfulness that he's going to provide for us. Turn to Psalm 62. This should be our response. It should look like what Psalm sixty-two is explaining and offering as a song of praise. It's the Psalm of David. He says, "For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation." This is really important in light of this sermon. He only is my rock. I would highlight that in my Bible. That that, that should jump off the page because it's going to get repeated. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone... O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Then he appeals, trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. But here's what Paul's doing. He doesn't see this response coming from the Corinthians, he sees a different response. So he's, he's really asking this question to them What happens, Christian, when you ignore the salvation of God and you ignore his provision? Verse 5 Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. I ought to sit on you right here. Here's what he's saying. Of all the people who were set re- free from Egypt, that first generation, how many of them saw the promised land? Two. Two. They died in the wilderness. This This death in the wilderness was because God was not pleased with him because they did not look to God alone. And because they did not look to God alone, God judged them. This is summarized in Moses' song in Deuteronomy chapter 32. I want to invite you to turn there with me. Deuteronomy 32. It's on page 171 in my Bible. That doesn't mean I didn't look it up for your chair Bible, but that'll give you a little clue. It's toward the front. This is a song Moses sang to recount the history of Israel, and this is a sad part of the song. But Yeshurun, that's another word for Israel, grew fat and kicked, and grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy, that is, God with strange gods, with abominations they provoked Him to anger, they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods who they had never known, to new gods that they had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you and forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of His sons and daughters. And He said... I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children of whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth in its increase and sets on fire the foundations of Of the mountains, so what Paul is doing here as he's drawing on this reference to Deuteronomy 32 is he is offering a warning to the Christian, to the Christians at Corinth, and to us today through his Holy Word. Now he's saying, Corinthians, you haven't arrived yet where Israel found themselves, but you need to take what I'm saying as a warning before you get there. Because you're headed there. So, is there a way out? The answer is yes. Because trusting in the faithfulness of God, we look to Him for escape in the face of temptation. Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So these things, he says, took place as an example. Why? Verse 6, look at it. Why? Why is it an example? That we might desire evil as they did. So you've got to ask the question, what is the evil that they desired? The answer is idols. That's the evil. Now it might have shown up in different ways. There might have been different ways that it, that it revealed itself, but ultimately it's idolatry. Illustration number one, verse seven. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. So he's talking here about Numbers 25. In Numbers 25, they come into contact with the Moabites. The Moabites are very similar to the Corinthians, by the way. They worshiped in, their, in the temple of Baal with prostitutes. So the Israelite men began to connect themselves to these Moabite prostitutes. The scripture says they hoard after them. Then they sat down at the celebration of the of the. Idle, Baal, and they ate and they drank and they rose up to play or revelry he says we must not indulge in sexual immorality as they did because here's what happened when they did this 23,000 of them died as a result of a plague in one day now you'd think they'd get their attention but to another example actually this one was prior you'd have thought this one got their attention incident number two We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So let me start at the end. The destroyer is the angel of God. Exodus 32, uh, excuse me, Exodus 12, Psalm 78 explain that this is an angel sent by God to execute his judgment. This is not the devil. This is God's work. They were destroyed by serpents. So here's what happened. The children of Israel are out there and and they make this comment. This is in Numbers 21. They make this comment, there is no food or water and we loathe this worthless food. Okay, well, is there no food or water or you don't like the food? The answer is, they didn't like the food. Now kids, the next time you sit down for spaghetti and you complain because your mom made spaghetti again, you ought to think about this text. Which by the way, sidebar, part of the reason we're making little narcissists is because we give in to everything they want. This is a serious issue culturally going on. This is not just about how you raise your kids. It's about what you do in your kid's heart every time you do what your kid wants. What if God did everything we want? Thank God he doesn't. Well, they grumbled. They weren't comfortable. They weren't happy. And as a result of their turning from God's good provision, God sent serpents to bite them, venomous snakes, and they were dying. So they came to Moses, and they said, we've sinned. Ask God to relent. So here's what God does. God tells Moses, you you make a a bronze snake, you put it on the end of a pole, and you lift it up, and everybody who looks at that snake are going to be healed from the bite. He doesn't take the snakes away. It's very interesting. He doesn't take the snake bite away. What he takes away is the death that the snake bite caused. You say, well, what's the big deal? That's kind of a weird story. Well, you think it's weird. You're, the one text everybody knows, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have. You know what comes right before that in verse 14? And Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. You know what God's saying? I lifted my son on the cross and he took the snake bite for you. He took the venom and he died in your place. He took what you deserved. And the only way that you're going to be right with God is not to try harder and do better and accomplish more. You look to Christ and to Christ alone and you believe that he and he alone has paid the penalty for your sin. That he buried, died and rose again. You look to Christ and believe and you will be healed. Verse 11. Now, these things happen to them as an example. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Some of you got it all figured out. You good Christian people. Flannery O'Connor wrote about you. You good Christian people. You got it all figured out. You got everybody figured out. If everybody just lived like you live, the world would be a better place. You know what the Bible says to you? You better take heed lest you fall. Don't you think for a moment that your heart is not susceptible to an idol? The Corinthians thought they were wise, man. We got it all worked out. He said, you take heed lest you fall. Why? Because no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now, contextually, what's the temptation? idolatry now we ripped this verse out and used it in all different places he's talking about idolatry you say well you know the temptation could be sexuality what is the real temptation with sex idolatry whatever it is your heart's bent toward it's that you think you've got to have that or you can't live It's as old as the garden. God's withholding this for me and I need to go get it because when I get it, I'm really going to live. There's no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And what does that mean? Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So I have a question for you, those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus. How can you trust in someone who can save you and you can't trust in him to provide for you to live in this crazy world? How can you say Jesus is powerful enough to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from unrighteousness but he's not powerful enough to give me enough strength to live in the 21st century? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Question, did He say He wouldn't let you be tempted? No, He didn't say that at all. But with the temptation, it's coming. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So His gracious and faithful provision gives you a way out and a way to hold up underneath the stress and strain. So, trusting in the faithfulness of God, we flee idolatry. We run from it. The Old Testament story of Joseph. Joseph fled Potiphar's wife. He didn't look over at her and say, hey, why don't you sit at the other end of the couch? He didn't say, you know, I'm not sure this is a good situation. I probably ought to call somebody in here. No, he jumped up and ran. And here's what the Bible's saying. When you see idolatry in your life, run. God gives you a way out. Verse 15, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? This bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now here's where you're going to go. I have no idea where we're going now. So hang with me here. I'm going to explain this quickly, but don't make it hard. Understanding this hinges on the word participation. So what does participation in the blood and body of Christ mean? It means when we take the bread and the wine, we are proclaiming Christ's death. That is, we are proclaiming the event that established the new covenant and we demonstrate by taking it that we are participants in the new covenant. We are proclaiming our allegiance to Christ. So young people, whoever you are that's getting up here in just a few minutes, not only are you saying when you come to the waters of baptism that I proclaim my allegiance to Christ, you're also saying this. I reject idols. I turn from them. I'm not adding Jesus to my little wealthy, healthy life. No, I reject everything and I turn to Christ. That's what participation with Jesus means. That our allegiance is to him. Verse 17. Because there is one bread, we are many are one body. We all partake of the one bread. I don't have my version of Christianity and you have yours. There's only one Christ, one faith, one baptism. We are in Christ. Consider the people of Israel, those who eat the sacrifice, sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? The food offered to idols is anything? or the idols anything? No. Now, what's he saying? What is he saying? So, there were idols, there were these temples Artemis, Aphrodite, wealth, sex, fertility. They went, they made a sacrifice, they ate the meal. They were saying, This will help me. He's saying, The food's not the issue, the statue is not the issue. That's not the issue. So, what's the issue? I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. What does that mean, Christian? That means you can't mix a little bit of something else with your Christianity because when you do it, it becomes a deadly brew that's going to kill you. This is everywhere. Everywhere. You can be saying, "Hey, this is no big deal. I'm not an idol worshipper. I live in the 21st century." I say to you, verse 22, "Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy Are we stronger than he is?" Back to Deuteronomy 32, "You were mindful of the rock, unmindful of the rock that bore you. You have forgot the God who gave you birth." The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of His sons and daughters. Who was God displeased with? The pagans or His people? His people. I'll read it again. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it it and spurned them because of the provocation of His sons and daughters. His children were provoking Him. You read on, it's because they were going after other gods. You say, well, that's Old Testament stuff that doesn't relate to today. Okay, let's go to, the, let's go to the New Testament then. Hebrews 12. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What God has given you in his great salvation can never be crumbled or taken away. And what God's saying is everything created, everything is seen around you, Stock market crossed twenty nine thousand. It's going to go down again, and it's probably going to go down in a big way when it goes down. The things created collapse, but the things which are gods are an unshakable kingdom. So what do we do? We offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He's He alone is God. Now, here's what moderns say. Moderns say you need to be authentic and sincere. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it's your, ba- your, your thing. You just be authentic and sincere, and the rest of us are supposed to say, well, that's completely valid. You just do your authentic and sincere thing. So while I was over in Europe here, a law was passed in a lower court in England that veganism is now a religion. This is where we're headed, folks. Everything's going to be a religion. and they're going to press that to where nothing's religion. Then what are we going to do? What are we already doing? we Are we going to give in to the culture? Or are we going to worship God in reverence and in awe? Here's my final question. The so what, if you will. Are we trusting in the faithfulness of the one true God and fleeing idolatry? An idol is something that you cannot live without. I'm really asking you this question Are you trusting in idols or are you trusting in God? I'll further ask you a question, parents. Are you teaching your children to trust God or trust idols? So what are some of the idols? I'm going to give you four categories of idols, and I'm going to give you some subcategories in each one. The first category of idols are identity idols. The God of this age is you. You know that, right? And you got to respect me worshiping me, and i got to respect you worshiping you. It's not working for us. It's not working out, because here's what this identity idol says i only have worth as long as you like me as long as you accept me and respect me and approve of me i only have worth if i have influence and power over other people this is why some of you're going to go in intense depression when you retire because your god is power being in charge being in control i only have worth when i achieve I only say this for people to think about it. I'm not trying to be hard on millennials. I love millennials, and I am committed to figuring out how to encourage and help millennials serve the Lord. But there's some things we've done to millennials. So You say, what can millennials do? I'm going to give you an answer. You know what I think millennials can do? They can make good grades. Because that is the altar that we worship as parents. My kids got to make good grades because my kids make bad grades looks bad on me. Parents now actually do their kids' homework. Listen to me. Listen to me. When they get a job, are you going to work with them? See, here's the real problem. Millennials have never had a job. And every sport they ever played, they all got a trophy. So now you come into the work world and you expect everybody to give you a trophy and everybody to participate. And if I want to advance... To boss in six months, then I advance to boss in six months, or I'm not self actualized and I need to get my feelings hurt and I'm gonna quit. There's all kinds of gods that are propping up a new generation of people. And young people, I'm not trying to trash on you. You gotta realize the influences that have shaped your mind. Then they're relational idols. I find my worth and peace in my spouse, in my kids, or in my friends. This is another thing modern parents do. They make other kids be their kids' friends. Hey, hey, adults, has that ever worked for you? Have you ever made somebody be your friend? Doesn't work. We can't make these things happen. Some of you are living your life through your children. I'm just going to give you a little secret. I now have all college-age kids or adults, your kids are going to stomp your heart. Just letting all of you know. Some of them are going to stomp your heart harder than others. But I'm going to tell you the people who gets their heart crushed, that's the people who worship their children. Because that one day is going to come to an end. I find my worth and peace in sexual expression. These aren't real relationships. They're just relationships for pleasure. They're somewhere between a relational idol and a comfort idol. So what's a comfort idol? A comfort idol is I only have peace when my life is free from conflict and pressure. <laughs> this is everywhere. This is everywhere. So let me just illustrate in church. This is my favorite excuse. People come up to our, our kids' workers or me and say, I- I'm stopping working in kids' areas. It's It's hard. I'm shocked. It's hard to work with kids. What? Thanks for telling us. I don't react to you that way, but that's what I'm thinking. Duh. You know why there are families here? Because people serve kids here. The moment we stop serving kids here, there'll be no families. Just go to some other churches where the nursery door hasn't been opened in years. Comfort is a God. Ease is a God. We don't do hard. And for some of you, your kids, I'm going back up to kids, your kids have never done hard either. Listen, there's some people in this room who survived the Great Depression who ate pinto beans and cornbread every meal for decade. You can do hard. And actually, hard is helpful. The other comfort idol is, I only have peace and experience when I experience pleasure and a quality of life. <laughs> I know I'm picking on people here. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to pastor. I've had people who are very young who say, You know, I I, I need to have four vacations a year. Listen, my grandparents never went on a vacation. They went to some relatives till it became stink day and they had to leave. You know what I'm saying? They survived. They were actually very happy people. But we have convinced ourselves that we've got to have all these experiences and all these pleasurable things, and they've got to be a part of our life or we're not going to be happy. Then there are material idols. I only have peace when I have plenty of or when I get a new whatever. And then there's that thing you hold in your hand. This ought to disturb you, what I'm going to say next. Research has been done by a secular university that they have found out that your phone, when you are surfing and doing certain things with it, is triggering the same part of your brain that is triggered when you're in public worship of God. That ought to scare you. And it's not just young people with their nose stuck in a phone anymore. Go in any place where there are older people. Now I admit, we older people are moving really slow with it because we don't know how it works. But our nose is still in it. Everything has been an idol. Anything can be an idol. Anything. But what has happened to us? What has happened to the Christian? 1 Thessalonians says it this way. For they themselves report the kind of reception we had among you, how you turn from idols, don't miss this, to serve the living God. Notice the Bible does not say how you turn from idols to believe in the living God. That's part of it. But it takes it a step further. You have turned from serving and believing idols to serving and believing God. Here's what disturbs me. What, what scares me for a lot of you who came into this room today. You've punched your ticket of belief for the week. Now you're going to get up and go serve your idols for the next seven days. And next Sunday morning, you'll come back and punch your ticket for belief. And then you'll go right back. And I'm going to tell you what's happening. We're losing the next generation. These are cold, hard facts, brothers and sisters. 50% of young people from Southern Baptist churches are leaving the faith between 18 and 22. 50% parkwood is somewhere in the 60 to 70 range. We are not far off. And I got to ask the question and I've been asking the question. Why? Here's why I think it's happening. One of the reasons and I think it's primary. It's because in many of our homes there're two tables. There's the table of the Lord and there's the table of demons. And we're eating at both tables and God's not going to have it. He's not going to have it. We are called to be followers of Jesus. So I say with the conclusion of 1 John chapter 5, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Lord, I come now and I plead on behalf of my brothers and sisters who've gathered in this place. Lord, I pray that they would receive the word today, not with anger, not feeling beat upon, but a fair and gracious warning from God that we take heed lest we fall. And Lord, where you identify as you've identified in my own life where idols have yet crept in again, that you will identify in the hearts and lives of my brothers and sisters, the false idols, the false gods they've worshipped, things that they've depended on. And Lord, I pray for the men and women who have gathered here who have never trusted in Christ. They've never looked to the one who took the penalty of sin for them and that they would turn from their idols and serve the living and one true God. Do your work in us, among us, and through us now. We pray and we plead in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.